You're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life, presented by Spartan Combat. Let's go. That's the bet right there. I don't know that I don't know that we have more of a lock. By the way, just just my own opinion, but I shared with you, I was at that training camp. Yeah. David Taylor might be the best pound for pound wrestler in the country. That's always debatable, but he might be. And he really it kind of appears he's only got to get past Yastani. I see it totally different with Gable, man. I see it on a bad day. On a bad day, I think he wins the gold. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. We're recording this intro from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. We're out here on the streets doing the Lord's work, finishing up our final interviews for our upcoming audio documentary, Slaying Satyev, where we cover the greatest upset in Olympic wrestling history when Brandon Slay took out one Bovasar Satyev, the great Russian. So that's why we're out in Philly, but this week's episode is with Chael Sonnen. Uncle Chael, as he's come to be known, has a personality larger than life. He has a show on ESPN. He's a former UFC legend and an Oregon wrestler, All-American, I should say, for the University of Oregon back in the 90s. Chael and I break down Barstool Sports' most recent betting lines in Olympic wrestling. This is the first time that I can remember where there's actual betting lines to bet on wrestling. So we talk about that. We also talk about some legendary Fargo matches and a lot more. Enjoy it, folks. Fan of the week goes to my man, Joshua Russo. That's at Josh Russo on the gram. Josh was a fan of the DJ Bruce podcast, so thank you so much for tuning in, my friend. As always, Wrestling Changed My Life is proudly presented by Spartan Combat. Get your Kyle Dake Team USA merch ASAP at SpartanCombat.com. You don't want to be sitting at home watching the Olympics in your high school t-shirt. Get some Kyle Dake gear on SpartanCombat.com. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the great Chael Sonnen. So what do you think about this bar stool putting odds in the Olympic wrestling? Okay, I like the whole thing. I mean, that's a great way to really be like, um, 
it's a sign that you're accepted by the community. I mean, like the larger sports community, gaming is such an important thing. It's one step in the right direction. I would love to be able to walk up to a sports book at Mandalay Bay or something like this in Vegas and, and place a wager. But I think it's good. And by the way, it's a great talking point, if nothing else. I mean, let's create some dialogue, man. The games are upon us. Let's have some fun it's with this. It's so much fun. And you you may correct me here, but I don't remember a time when there's been a big time sports book putting odds on wrestling. I mean, have you seen this before? No, I haven't. And hey, Barstool's getting involved in wrestling to some mm -hmm. degree. And let me tell you why I say that. So what's that thing that opened up like a week ago where the college athletes, what's NIL. that called? It's got like three. Thank you. So the NIL, when that opened up, though, I, I've got a kid that just signed with the Beavers, a kid named Ricky Bell, All-American from Fargo. But Barstool contacted him that day. I don't even know how they got his information or what database they drew from. They contacted him that day and gave him a sponsorship. It was like access to a site that you normally have to pay for or something along these lines. But either way, they reached right out to these college athletes, whatever database they have. They sent emails. The kids signed up and said, yes. I mean, just by example, Barstool's Barstool deserves some credit, man. They're doing something in our space. I mean, two weeks in a row, I'm talking about Barstool sports in the context of wrestlers. You know, they signed Spencer Lee and, like you mentioned, a bunch of other athletes. And now this week they're making odds on, on Olympic wrestling. I just think they're so brilliant with their guerrilla marketing. I mean, we're talking about them and all they're doing is, is making money off the bets. You know, it's, it's genius. Sure. Hey, by the way, do you have those odds? On yeah, I do. I want to know who the, I got them all right here at heavyweight. Yeah. Did they put Gable as the favorite or did they put the, so turf? as it stands now, Gable is the third favorite at ghoul is plus one twenty five. Petros Vili is plus 140. Gable's plus 300. Wow. That's the bet right there. I don't know that I don't know that we have more of a lock. By the way, just, just my own opinion, but I shared with you, I was at that training camp. Yeah. David Taylor might be the best pound-for-pound -pound wrestler in the country. That's always debatable, but he might be. And he really kind of appears he's only got to get past Yastani. I see it totally different with Gable, man. I see it on a bad day. On a bad day. I think he wins the gold medal. Yeah, I, I agree. And there's another bet. I didn't even see these to place. Gable is minus 225, which is also third. At Ghoul is minus 2,000 a place. So he's super undervalued there, too. I think there's zero chance he walks away without a medal. So Sure. I, I fully agree with that. And, and as I understand with the seating, because of the separation of the Georgian and the Turk, the Gable has to go through both. Man, I got whatever. Yeah. It could be the same day. You remember the draw that Taylor had when he won the world championships, but he had like Yazani the first round and Sharif off the second, or I got it flip flopped. I mean, there's hard draws. These guys are ready for it, though. It's not as though Gable was expecting anything less. I don't know. I bring that to you. I just think, you know, if we were playing $1,000 of house money just for fun, I'm putting it all on Gable. Interesting. I was going to ask you about some of the other ones. I mean, uh, Taylor is the favorite, minus 125. So bet 100 to win 100. No, bet 125 to win 100. And then Yazdani second at plus 125. After that, it's a pretty pretty steep drop off. Um, I don't disagree. And they didn't make uh, Dake the favorite, right? He they is give it to the at first, but now the betting line is swung, and now Dake's the favorite. Okay. Yeah, he, he's plus right. one. Is they go into that unseated, by yeah. the way? Because Dake does not get a seed, right? Because he was 79 kilos. So, see, that's interesting, too. I mean, that could also be first, first round. First round, he could wrestle Chimizo or Sitikov. Yep. And that happened one time. I remember it was 2008, but it was the 2004 Olympic champion, Russian, uh, Batrov, 
moved up a weight class. So when he moves up, even though he was defending champion, he drew, you remember when they used to literally reach into the the bag? Uh, what a lazy way to do it. Come on, see the damn thing. But he moved up as Olympic champion, drew the Cuban first round, who was the Olympic champion at that weight. So as champion versus champion, best of three, it's when they still, wrestling was all goofy, but Batrov got him out of there in two rounds. The Cuban was out of the tournament. Defending Olympic champion out of the Jeez. tournament. I mean, he, he- it's it's just scary to think who's going to get drawn in some of these early matches. I mean, like we said, all of our top guys are not seated. Uh, I mean, Snyder is seated second, so he'll be on the opposite side of Sajulaya. But I tell you, at Snyder's weight, the Iranian Mohammedan is plus seven hundred, and he's Tech Snyder. So I, I I still have a lot of faith and confidence in Snyder, but that's an interesting one too. If you're just is he thrown in there? Is is the Iranian thrown in there? He didn't qualify for a seat, right, does I think he? He's thrown in. All right, because that's very interesting, too. I mean, yes, I'd love to see him and Schneider. I think I'd prefer to avoid him. He's a little bit awkward. I'd prefer to avoid him, but I, I'd want to see him and Saj alive. If we could get them on oh the same bracket, God. yeah, it would be fun. The crazy thing about Mohammadi and his dad got second to John Smith, I believe, in 1992. Oh, that's him. That's his dad. Yeah. All right. Which is uh, like, man, what a difference in weight for those two. That's crazy. That guy that Smith beat, I know, I know exactly who you're talking about. That was after Smith had lost to the Cuban. Yes. Smith had to tech the Russian. That's when it was a 15-point tech ball, by the way. Smith texts the Russian 17-2, to two, laced him. But that gentleman you're talking about, who was second to Smith, was a defending silver medalist from 125 and a half. So that guy was good. He'd been in the finals before. Four years later, he makes it back to the finals, but he runs into, runs into about six high crotches. By yeah, Smith. and then in 88, he wrestled Sergey. So it's like, whew, tough, tough finalist for that dude. Um, it's like, yes. I did not know that that was the same guy. I did not know that was his father. I mean, the DNA is very different, right? I mean, you got, you got 96 kilos versus 125, 136 and a half pounds. He has, he has popped for guy. steroids though. So it's not that surprising. Sure. That's an excellent point. My favorite wrestler from Iran in 2016, they called him uh, the Persian Panther. But he was also uh, like a Yazdani, I believe. Do you remember mm. him? He wrestled Varner. He wrestled Varner at the World Cup, beat Varner 7-0. Something happens at the Olympics. I think he got hurt and had to pull out, and Varner wins a gold medal. So there was all this talk. They robbed him in 2016. He came back. They robbed him. If you'll remember, the security from Olympic Village came in and removed three referees. It was in that mm. match. They robbed, he took a guy down. He was on top, like getting a gut wrench. I mean, down, 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 down. And they gave the other guy a point. It was just, it was, it was brutal. It was like, if I tell you what happened, it was one of the craziest things. You're jail. You're mistelling. No, I'm not. It was so bad. They removed these three officials from Olympic village. They can never Jeez. return. 20. They should lock them yeah. up. They should put them in jail is what they should do. 2016 had a lot of nonsense. Remember the, uh, what country were the guys from where they took their clothes off the coaches and started dancing around. I love those guys, the Mongolians. Yeah, that was 2016. They banned, they banned those guys too. Those guys were, that was the funniest part of the entire Olympics. Hey, there was another one, I, and this might be 2012, but a guy threw a fit. I think it was the Ukrainian. It was Greco-Roman. He got third, and he was on the medal, and he just couldn't take it. He lost his cool, and he like, threw the flowers mm. down. They took his medal, and they stripped him. He is officially not in the record books as a medalist. And I get the sportsmanship, but that's too much. Come on. The guy gets to be remembered as a bronze medalist. He earned that. That was for BS. sure. I mean, to strip him is pretty harsh. I mean, 
what do you think happens? Do you think there's matches where a ref goes into the match knowing he has to call it the other way? I mean, how does it go down? Yes, I, I think so. I mean, we see it in boxing all the time. Teddy Atlas is like the master for calling out his own sport. But in boxing, it is so – they literally do that. But I don't know if we've seen it this blatant in wrestling. I, I've never seen it with my own eyes where they had cameras and it was set up as what I'm referring to that happened to Yazdani. I mean, it was flat wrong. They took his points away. Refused. They were all in cahoots. Like one of them calls a mystery point and the other one is just quickly backing up. They were all in on it together. It was orchestrated and was brutal. There was a guy in boxing – I'm going back this 2004 this could have been 96 but there was a guy in boxing who got caught on the nbc cameras taking the payoff what? just on accident he just happened to take the money and we hear the stories of the wrestlers doing that all the time right sometimes you, you can incentivize a guy to do we, we hear those stories a lot but for the referees man that's a whole nother level of scumbag. it really is and so i mean we can only surmise that the countries of whoever has the cash are going to these refs and saying, Hey, we need you to call it this way. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty old school, but I guess it works. Yes. No. And we hear that about the wrestlers and, and we don't like to see, you want to see the best guy go out there and you compete and you work hard for it, all that nice stuff. But the guy is taking the dive. If he wants to get paid to take a dive and it costs himself, that's completely different than an official mm -hmm. who we trust you know, that's like being violated by your doctor or by your school teacher. Like there's another level. You just, you can't do it. I, 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 I'm not glad that they just removed them. I think it should have been much harsher. I should know their names. I should be naming <laughs> names right now. These guys should have been shamed worldwide shamed by our it's, community. It is. You're exactly right. Like if, I don't know why the Cubans always get thrown under the rug and I have no evidence that the Cubans have actually taken money, although I'm sure they have. But the refs, that's another level. What? And I, I've tried to get to the bottom of this over the past month, and I can't remember if I asked you. What happened with Kerry McCoy and Iran in 97? Okay, so it, I don't know that it was Iran. I thought it was Cuba, but McCoy was in the semifinals and won. Is that up at the world? McCoy won. He picked up a leg lace exactly like you're taught. He did a cartwheel over. He scored his points. Time concluded. They shook hands. They raised his hand. He's a finalist. So he gets on the bus to leave to go back to the hotel. And John Smith, there's like, the bus couldn't leave. There was some kind of holdup. McCoy had no idea it was about him. John Smith gets on the bus and says to him, we're going to have a hard time getting you in the finals. And McCoy's going, I'm in the finals, coach. I won that match. And Smith's like, I just left the bracket room. They're changing it. And Smith knew the answer, but he was kind of trying to ease uh, ease the info in. But they changed it. They literally went in the back room. Now, they had their reasoning, and their reasoning was that you can't stand up on this leg lace. There was something to do with the leg lace. Now, it was perfect technique, but this is what they argued. They took his points away, which changed the score, and they just wrote it in that the Cuban wins. And the Cuban went on to the finals. I believe the Cuban won the gold medal. Wasn't that Alexi? Wasn't that Alexi Rodriguez? And I believe he won the gold medal. I mean – that's ever been as bad as, as what they pulled on on uh, Kolot. Ever been as bad. Oh, for sure. I mean, at least Kolot got to re-wrestle. Well, Kolot, that happened to him in the past where he didn't get to re-wrestle, but in 2000, he did get to re-wrestle. But let's see here. Alexis Rodriguez did win in 98. Um, that's just crazy because you know Koi would have wrestled a different pace if he was losing. You know, like, it wouldn't sure. have been the same. That's just insane they used to do that. 
Sure. Oh, they've changed it over time. For a while, there was something called bad time. I mean, you remember in 84, but uh, with Randy Lewis and Leroy, mm-hmm. they actually redid the match, but they only redid like 42 seconds. And and I, I believe Leroy had a two-point deficit when it's, I mean, the whole thing was goofy, but this is how they resolved it. And even as recently as one or two years ago, when we had Zane uh, versus Dehaka, uh, yeah. Yanni, Yanni D, the Maka Hollis, right? <laughs> They redid the whole match. And if you're going to do that, that's the way you got to do it. You got to redo the whole damn thing to go into a bracket room. And even if the rules called for that, somebody should have been fired. Somebody should have caught that the first time it happened to Colot, and it never happens again. You cannot change it in a bracket no, it's, room. It's criminal. The good thing that we have going for us now is that the freestyle rules are a lot better. Have you been watching or catching any highlights from Fargo this past weekend? No, no. I got a kid out there who's wrestling for third, though. I've been getting updates, and I've got so – that's the cadet division. I've got a few juniors that are going to go. But, no, I haven't seen – where are you catching that at? A little Intermat? bit of intermat, a little bit of flow. One of the matches that was, quote-unquote, the loudest match at the 16-under division. Do you know Eric Larkin? Remember him? Arizona State great. So his son, unranked, takes out this stud from Pennsylvania, uh, Mason Gibson, like national champ, many times over – takes him out and a barn burner ends up catch him in a lace Texum. And so like, if you watch this match, so you just see like 300 people around this mat, just going absolutely berserk. That's been a big one. Um, this, so Eric Larkin, the school, his kid goes to, it's called Valiant prep. They have three finalists in the 16 U division. The entire state of Illinois only has one like this t- high school to Arizona is on the come up. Wow. Hey, Eric Larkin was fantastic. Oh he used to have a trapped arm gut. Eric Larkin's senior year, which would have been 2001, he was the only college athlete to be on the freestyle national team. And we've seen a lot of younger guys, right, but from the Cejudos to the Kyle Schneiders, we've seen a lot of younger guys do well. That was very uncommon back then. Most of them didn't even try. And Larkin was third. He was third in Dallas for the Olympic trials. But to get third, he had to take out Sean Charles, who's from Arizona state who went on to be the head coach. It was a little bit awkward. You know, who does Leroy corner? This was his mm. own athlete. This is his current athlete, but Oh, Larkin was something else. And he could get on top of you and freestyle. He trapped your arm. You were going to get, yeah, he was nasty Hodge winner. And in Oh, I'm thinking Oh four. When you say trials, I forgot he was relevant at the trials in 2000. He was young then. Yes. How did he do in Oh four? Was he still around? At yeah. 04? I think I he lost that. to Lawrence in the finals of the challenge tournament and he had beaten him. Okay either in the national finals that year in, in NCA or they had swapped a bunch of times and it just came down to it. And Lawrence got him at the trials, if I'm remembering it correctly, but I love, uh, I just, you know, I just love his personality and approach, like a real Arizona chill to his style, you know? He did MMA for a second. He had like one match or two. He wasn't a natural fit and he went and did something else. But I remember reading that because I remember thinking much like I did with Pico, like, oh, this is going to be the guy. And he just had some small match somewhere. And then I kind of, I think he stopped and I lost his career. But I knew he was running that club. Mark Munoz's son, Trey, is out there at Arizona State now. And I was looking for a club in that area. Somebody called and So I called uh, Munoz and that's who he told me to send him. He said, send him to Larkin's club. I hear they're pretty good. Well, it turns out they're more than pretty yeah, good. Huh? And uh, Henry Cejudo's brother, Angel, is actually the head coach at that whole the whole club in high school. So pretty awesome. They The high school, they don't even compete in the Arizona League. They are like a private charter school, and they just do like Ironman, Super 32. So pretty, pretty unique, but it's wow. paying off. Yeah. Pretty How many elite. times did you go out to Fargo? 
I went to Fargo. I went as a sophomore. I was scared to death. Uh, I was a cadet still. And I went at just like a scared guy would. And then I went my junior and senior year. I made the finals both times. Greco or freestyle? Greco, uh, Greco twice and got eighth in freestyle. And was this at the Unidome or was it at Fargo? It was at the Fargo okay. Dome. Is that what it means? What, what is the Unidome? Is that back when I'm thinking Cedar Falls. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was called Iowa for years. The way they call it Fargo now. I mean, no, nobody ever calls it the Junior Nationals. You, are you going to Iowa? And then it was, are you going to Fargo? But I don't know how they do the bracketing now. I was of the time back when you could wrestle 11 matches and not even place. You could have to do 13 or 14. You know, we'd have 130 guys in a bracket. I'm told it's not like that anymore. That's when I think of Fargo, that's what I think of, but I'm told that's not the it's case. It's a straight anymore. bracket now, but they're huge. This was one of the biggest years ever. The first round of the brackets for the biggest junior brackets was the round of 256. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love stories like that, though. I mean, that's the way it should be. Every state was allowed. I think it was what well, you get two guys per weight. But then you get a whole bunch of wild cards that you can kind of put in any, any way that you yeah, want like to you do go it. to Northern Plains. But man, I remember everybody went. If you didn't go to Fargo, you either didn't matter or you were a chicken, but there was no in-between. Now, that's the way it still is. They're just a little nicer to guys. They they should harass them. They should call them chickens. <laughs> you don't show up for Fargo. I remember the year that Joe Smith won it. Joe Smith won it, but Mark Hall was the same year, but Mark didn't enter. Well, then it doesn't count. Joe's the national champion. Yeah. The end. The only exception now is that these they have these age group world teams. That's going on right now. The U.S. You had an or, uh, an Oregon guy actually made the finals today. Teched his way into the world finals at the 16U World Championships. But like, do you know him? He he took he took out the Russian in the first round, and in the second round he beat the defending champion. Gosh, and. He was one of three other Americans that just steamrolled into the into the finals. So it's it's just amazing how much wrestling and how good everyone is at this age level. You watch the world championships that are going on right now or Fargo. It's like, man, these kids are so good. Sure. And it, it is unfortunate that it's at the same time. I remember a year that Mason Manville won the world, flew to Fargo just in time to weigh in and then won Fargo. So he was a world and a national champion all in like the same 96 hours. That's Pretty amazing. Cool. Now, when you were doing it, what did they have two divisions or was it just juniors? It was just juniors. We contested the cadets in Missouri, but at a different date. But it, it was kind of where you had to choose one. Um, and I can't remember why, if the dates were close enough or maybe just the state of Oregon made you choose. But I never knew anybody that went to cadets and went to juniors. You picked one. And then you went, but yeah, that was in Missouri. It was its own thing. And it was very special. They did a great job and they built it up and special mats for the finals and the awards and a whole bunch of people showed up. Uh, also huge brackets. Every state sent their contingencies, everybody in uniforms. It was serious. Business. I didn't realize it was at separate locations now, but that's what you, you look back to like Alan Freed winning four junior titles. You're like, how the hell did he do sure. that? Sure. No, it was incredible. Alan Freed was the first to do it. And Oscar Wood was the first to do it in Greco. Mm. And a number of guys, I think, have done it in both styles. I don't know about the Greco. It's, it's, it's less guys have done it in Greco than have done it in freestyle. But, yes, when Free did that, um, Powell out of Nebraska, uh, or ended up wrestling for the University of Nebraska, I think it was in Oklahoma in high school, he ended up doing five, which is just so many championships. Man, that is so <laughs> damn many Fargo, Fargo championships to God. win. There was a guy named Kelchgard. Kelchgard. David Kelchgard was a huge deal my year. Oklahoma kid went, became a Sooner, and like something happened to his knee. He, he was a five-time Fargo champion. 
one of those years that he won Fargo, he beat Kale Sanderson to win Fargo. I mean, just by example, like these were real weight classes. And I never saw him in a Sooner singlet. I know he went there. I, I, I don't know if he, I, I don't I have no idea about his career. Never really heard from him. There's, since. there's a couple of guys I've heard of, you know, that I think there's another guy from the South, but I've heard this kills guard as well. You know, I mean, how do you even win five? It's like, um, obviously you're doing both, both styles, but I mean, when you, when you have the cadets broken out in the 60 and under than the juniors in their own age division, I mean, that's just still super impressive, but when it's just one division, good God. I mean, those. Okay. Okay. You said you heard about a guy from the South. I will bet you you're thinking of Sean Hag from yeah, Georgia. Sean Hag, sophomore, junior, senior, all at 191 pounds. So very real weight classes. Six times he entered it, six times he won it. <laughs> Doubled up three times. I don't believe that's ever happened before or since, particularly at a real weight class. And he was taking out real guys. I mean, one of the years to win it, he beat Lee Fullhart. Two years later, Fullhart was the NCAA champion. Hag went to West Virginia. I don't know what happened. He's coaching high school somewhere now. He's still involved in wrestling, but I don't know what happened with his college Man, career. Man, it's just like, it's just crazy that that can happen. I mean... I don't know. It's so fun to watch and just see these guys develop though. You mentioned West, West Virginia. I just had Greg Jones on. You talk about a guy who might've been one of the best college wrestlers of the two thousands. That guy was ridiculous. And never got his credit. And I don't know yeah. why. I, I don't know why. Wanted as a freshman missed out as a sophomore. In fact, Rashad Evans uh, beat upset him as a sophomore. Then Rashad gets put out of the tournament. And then he comes back and wins it as a junior and senior. Don't forget, he had a brother, Virtus. Yes. Virtus was a killer, too. Virtus was in the finals with He Kale. was in the finals as a, like a sophomore of a junior. It's like the yeah. talent level to get there is ridiculous. And you watch Greg Jones. You know, I, every time I do an interview, I try to pick uh, who's his big rival. Greg Jones didn't have any rivals. He didn't have matches within six points very often. And you think about if he would have gone into freestyle the way he dominated, oof, my God. I just... And why didn't he, by the way, why did he not pursue freestyle? I didn't have the stones to ask him. I was just like, I just, I wanted to, but he just seemed like he went into coaching and then, you know, he's like the king of Morgantown. And the next thing you know, Rashad calls him to help train for a camp. And now he's down in Florida with Henry Hooft. And, you know, they got a pretty good thing going at Sanford MMA. Yeah. Oh, they praise him a lot. I talked to a lot of those guys. He trains a lot of those MMA guys. They love it. They love his practices. They never miss. They're intense. They're hard. They said, you know, it's like the hardest workout of the week, but. I don't know what happened. I would have loved to see him like at the U S open. There's some guys that have just had enough though, by the way, and you know, particularly the real successful guys, they fire their last bullet. One thing that all those studs that I looked up to whether you're undefeated in high school or undefeated in college, or you win the Olympics real early. One thing they all have in common is their career is over by 27 yeah. years old. And I, it, I mean, I feel like, you know, you can only get it up so many times they're done early. Speaking of guys who may be done early, let's go into your world a little bit. What do you think about the McGregor loss and that whole fight in general? That was a beating. I mean, to see the loss hurt, like, I mean, I kind of got sick to my, so made my leg hurt. It was one of those things. I get that it's the damage business, but injury is a whole nother thing, right? Nobody takes a pleasure in seeing injured, but that was an ass whipping. I mean, they were talking about doing part four when he gets back. It's like, guys, what are you talking about? This, this was a killing. There was no part of that fight. He won. The round got completed. Two of the judges turned in 10-8 scores. To get a 10-8 score means, you know, you have to be eligible for TKO throughout the round. It's almost the judge's way of correcting a mistake by the referee. It's the whole reason that rule is there. Two of them had a 10-8. Andy left broken. I'm not, I'm not really sure that we need to see that match again. There's not a feasible scenario where he shows up better. 
Like Poirier is in the gym today, literally in the gym today working. Connor's out for six months sitting on his ass. I mean, it's just logic. You can't get better by not doing it. I, I don't know. I, we don't need to see that fight. No, again. I think it was the strategy of going guillotine early was it was a loose guillotine and you're now you're end up in a grappling match. That's it would just seem like uh it wasn't good from the start. You know, I have a problem with that same thing, you know, for Connor McGregor, who usually has a, a very high IQ and Connor's a great mixed martial artist, just not compared to Poirier Poirier. There's a gap. He's meaningfully better, but for Connor to even go for a guillotine against the fence, it had no chance of working. And now you're pinned against the fence, which is exactly what happened to him. And he stayed there. I mean, I have a problem with that guillotine too, just because old Connor would have never done something so risky. And I get with big risk comes big reward. You can't fault a guy for trying to win, but that was just silly. Yeah, and he wasn't even close to getting it. Some people are like, oh, he almost had him. Like, that was a loose guillotine from the get-go. You're right. I don't know, man. Then I, I hate – I. I'm the biggest Conor McGregor fan there is, even though, you know, Poirier is a USA guy. Just McGregor brought me back into UFC. So I always love him for that. But to see how he's handled it afterwards kind of makes you hurt for the guy. You kind of cringe a little bit, you know? And I'm always giving him a pass. Like I'm showing some grace only because with that level of injury, I'm guessing, but I bet you they got him hooked up to morphine and others. I mean, somebody should have taken the phone out of his hand. I don't know who's letting him sit there and, and, and put out social media <laughs> in the first place. And then he's deleting tweets, which puts you into like John Jones territory, which you, you don't want to be him. And the whole thing was weird. By the way, can I tell you a great junior national yes. story? So, you know, Eric yes. Guerrero. Okay. Eric Guerrero was the champion of the world at 15 years old. He won the cadets and he won the cadets like before America was winning cadets. So when I tell you Guerrero's never had his ass kicked, it's very true. Even if you've seen Guerrero lose matches. Okay, fine. I, but you've never seen him get his ass kicked. That's a totally another deal. So Guerrero, who's the champion of the world, ends up his junior year in Las Vegas and the Vegas, they called it the Southeast mm -hmm. regional, but it was ever bit as difficult as the juniors because they did it side by side with the open. So everybody wanted to come out. You could watch the open. You could be seen by college coaches. It was just like a must attend event. If you're a good high school wrestler. So Guerrero goes out there. Now Guerrero is a world champion, but he runs into a guy named Oscar Wood, who was the three time defending Greco Roman junior national champion. So the match starts and like that whole building shut down. I mean, this is when Branzes are still wrestling. This is when Baumgartner's still out there. This high school match shuts down. the. Everybody comes to watch this showdown. So Oscar puts him in a front headlock, rolls him five times, and that match is over in about 28 seconds. Guerrero, the world just got teched by a Greco. <laughs> Guerrero loses his mind. The last time I saw Guerrero that day, he left the mat and he ran. There's like a row of doors. I mean, there's like a hundred doors that lead straight out to the desert or a parking lot or some damn thing. So Guerrero flying kicks it. The door flies open. Guerrero comes down, door shuts. You can't get back in. It's one of those doors <laughs> that only goes one way. So I just, I remember this to this day because I've always wondered like what happened? He's in his wrestling shoes. He's in a singlet. People are getting, nobody's letting him in your taxi. Not that he would have any money to pay. And like, what did Eric Guerrero do? I don't know the answer, but that was at the Southeast. So now these two know the showdown's going to come in Fargo and it does, but it comes in the semifinals. Mm. And I had spoke to Guerrero for that match. And he said, all he, he said, all I have done is work to stop front headlocks. He'll never front headlock me. And Guerrero had two takedowns. They were worth a point apiece back then. 
Oscar got the front headlock, rolled him uh, twice, beat him four to two. God. Oscar won. Yep, Guerrero ended up uh, third. Came back through and got third. Eric so what Guerrero. happened to this guy, Oscar Wood? I know you talk about him a lot. Oscar Wood went on to the university, or I apologize, Oregon State University. He was an All-American as a freshman. He got wow. seventh. As a sophomore, he was ranked, I believe, third, but he missed weight. At the national track, he and his brother, they both missed weight. It was shocking. Coach Wells sticks him on a plane, flies him home. They don't even get to watch the tournament. Oscar comes back as a junior. He now in between, and this is relevant, they've done the weight change. So he's a 34-pounder, but now he's wrestling 149. He also got married. So you know how that goes, right? You know how that when a guy gets married, right? He's not, it's just, it's one of those things. I'll leave yeah. it at that. But he comes out in the very first match. He loses to the Missouri kid. He comes back through seven matches, pins all seven guys to get third, including the very Missouri guy who beat him in the very first round. He pins him too. He scored so many team points for Oregon State just in bonus points. It was as though Oregon State had a whole nother third placer. Uh, he did it all with the death grip where you get the chin, you get, but he rolls back when it, that was a brand new thing. Nobody had ever seen it get rolled, but we always took the overhook over Oscar was jamming you and rolling you like a front headlock, put everybody on his back seven for seven, but nobody had ever seen the move. It's one of the big problems I have with these pricks that call that Gator bacon. <laughs> First off, Gator bacon. That's not a name. That's not a wrestling hold anywhere. Whoever thought of that's a, a scumbag. And secondly, you don't have a choice. Oscar Wood pinned seven guys in 1998, showed the world the move, and Oscar Wood calls it a death grip. That's called a death <laughs> grip. Over. Conversation closed. What a you don't get to go back and like you can't. Some guys are calling it a hip lift. It's called a Metzger. Andre Metzger made up the move. He showed it to the world. It's called a Metzger. And Oklahoma State guys refuse to say that. They want to call it a hip lift. You don't get to rename something, all right? You just don't. So what about this? You know the Tony Ramos, the chin and the front headlock? They call it a whip over, nope. cow catcher. What is it for you? That, that's great. Okay, that's that was, okay. That was created in 1993 by a man named Broderick Lee who went on to make a world team. Broderick Lee created that move. He showed it to Oscar Wood, who made it famous, who also calls it a death grip. I've heard it called a monkey roll. I've called a cement mixer. See, that mixer is not as stupid as Gator Bacon. Like, that's just a, I don't even know if Gators have bacon. I mean, that's just a weird one. Like, whatever prick thought of that. <laughs> it's, called a death grip. it's called a death grip. Broderick Lee made it up. Oscar Wood made it famous. They both call it the same thing. Death so what grip. happened to Oscar Wood his senior year? He come back? Oscar Woods, his senior year, no. He was out on, like, the first day. He had a very hard first yeah. match uh, yeah. with Nebraska. I want to say he won nine to eight. But then he got beat. He got beat. You would think that'd be the end of him, right? Wrong. He comes back in 2004, made the Olympic team. This guy had yeah, talent. You haven't heard of this guy. This guy was under the radar. I'm telling you, this guy is one of the baddest high school guys ever. Maybe the baddest. First ever four-time champion. To win the, the Fargo as a freshman, he did it at 114 and a half pounds. To win that in the finals, he had what was called the greatest high school wrestler of all time for Greco-Roman, a man named Brandon Paulson. Mm. Brandon Paulson was third on the senior ladder. He was third on the senior ladder. Oscar Wood locked him up and threw him for five, held on to the lead, beat him as a freshman. 
The very next Olympic cycle, which was only three years later, Paulson got second. Jeez. It, it's badass that Guerrero, as a world champ, still came to Fargo, though. Kind of to your point, everyone must have gone back then. Everybody went to Fargo. There was nobody. You, you, if you had a college scholarship and then you chickened out of Fargo, which a lot of guys do, they should cut your scholarship. You should be eligible for that. You duck out of that tournament for any. If I was a college coach, I sign a guy and he ducks the toughest tournament in the. I mean, it's a big problem. In all fairness, and you can go back and study the guys that did it. It does not turn out well for very many yeah. of them. Like that is yeah. where you see their true colors. Is this guy a competitor or is he not? There's a lot on that. You sign a scholarship and then you chicken out of Fargo, follow your career. Probably didn't Yeah, well. you, you see a lot of guys doing that. The last thing I was going to ask you, and of course, if you got yeah. anything from me, um, Greco flipped around to the end of the, end of the week in Fargo. It used to be the first, and now it's the end of the week. Any thoughts on that? I like it. I mean, I must tell you, I Me do too. like it. Greco is is not, people aren't as fond of it. And also, I'm a Greco guy, so I feel like it's okay to say it, but they're not as fond of it. I remember, I love the freestyle too, but I would go through the Greco. You'd have 11 and 12 and 13 matches to get to the finals or to finish out your tournament. You were exhausted by the time freestyle came around. When I bragged you earlier that I placed in both styles, I was bragging because it was 26 matches. I didn't, I never won the state tournament in Oregon. I go to Fargo and I'd have to beat 18 and 19 state champions in one week. I mean, it was a very honorable feat, but in fairness, I think that I do understand that. I, I think that I get that. If, if freestyle is what has more participation, then you should probably let those, those guys go first as a way of encouraging them to stick around and do Greco. I can tell you my game, a lot of guys wanted those scholarships. They knew that the coaches kind of favored freestyle so they didn't want to do Greco. They wanted to keep themselves fresh. And I think we missed out on some pretty good Greco wrestling. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's, uh, you know, it, it makes sense. And the fun part about it is that you know, these guys are fresh and they don't have to come back and make weight again, you know, because there are a lot of guys that wrestle both styles, especially in the 16 and under. Once you get to juniors, you see them specializing a little bit more. But I think it's, I think it's awesome. And it's just amazing how many people go to this thing still and how fun it is to watch. Uh, tomorrow is the junior finals. So, That'll be something to tune into. I mean, you're there. You're definitely watching future D1 All-Americans, D1 National Champs. So it's just cool to see uh, to see these rivalries going at an early age. And by the way, what state is dominating? I, I've noticed that uh, uh, Illinois has been very dominant lately. Are, are they still kind of on yeah, top? Yeah, so juniors, Illinois could pull off a four-peat this year if they win juniors. They've done that. Wow. So I graduated high school in 07. Illinois started winning Fargo like, 06, 07, 08, 09, and primarily because Sean Bormet was the freestyle head coach. And so he made sure all the best guys were there and he was running team overtime at the time. And so like Illinois always had Fargo camp the week before Fargo at the University of Illinois, but the week before that, Bormet would have like a team overtime camp. And so freestyle was taken very seriously, but at the same time, they had like all these misfit children and the Greco team. And then Illinois Greco started winning. So Illinois freestyle and Greco's won a lot, but the cadets, the 16 and under that was dominated by Pennsylvania. They just won their second straight. Um, Illinois was like ninth. So the Illinois juniors are winning as of right now. So they, they could pull off wow. the four Pete, which would be sweet. And I, yeah, that's interesting, you know, because we're always told that the best wrestling is in the Midwest. That's because college, but that's not true. It's on the East Coast, and then the East Coast kids go to the Midwest. I know I'm stating what you already know, but it, it is one of those things. It is relevant who the top high school or who the cadet, top cadet programs are. That's how you know who the top states are. I will tell you, Oregon, when I was there, we had won it twice. 
they had some system for the, the Greco and the and the freestyle. They had some point system. But two of the of the three years that I went, we won it. We had three double champions. Kenny Cox doubled, Isaac Wood doubled, Oscar Wood doubled. We had a whole bunch of places. I only share that to you because in the state of Oregon, we used to have three divisions. We've now gone to six. So like for collegiate, we will have six champions in one weight class. Now, what that does, Ryan, is when you get to the freestyle in Greco, you'll have a guy that just went 32 and 0. He's his hometown hero. He's the state champion. He can't go to the freestyle tournament because there's a chance he doesn't even right. place. So he doesn't want to try to explain to his classmates how he's got this big fancy medal on his letterman's jacket, but he lost at some side tournament within the state. So he just doesn't go. And then the fathers are supporting yeah. that. The fathers love that the kid was a state champion or two-time champion, so he won't enter him. We have college coaches that used to come to our state to recruit that refuse to now. They say, you guys don't ever wrestle. There's no tournament. There's nowhere where you guys get together. There's no way for us to know who the best is. And they're right. And then our junior team, they don't want to risk it, so guys don't go. We used to be, Oregon was a top, we had three Division I All-Americans two years ago. None of them were wearing Oregon singlets, but they were from here. I mean, we're still a powerhouse state but we can't prove it because they don't have the right. balls. Well, that's the thing about California, though. Only one division, then California goes out there, and you got guys you've never heard of just going at it. And then you got coaches like DC in the corner, Deron Wynn. I mean, that's just one high school program, let alone the Terrapellis in the Central. So, like, people, you don't hear California all the time brought up as a, a top wrestling state, but the people who know know that they're one of the best. And that's why Fargo's awesome because they come out of the woodwork, and they just you – know, you don't, in California – on all the college teams I've been on, you've never met more dudes in your life that never started wrestling until high school. And they're just these talented dudes who love wrestling and they're all from California. They're so tough. I fully agree with you. New York's that same way. New York, for whatever reason, surrounded by, surrounded by Jersey, surrounded by uh, Pennsylvania, isn't, isn't all that great. But they do have that one division. At least within that state, they do identify who the champion is. Come on, Oregon's got six champions. That's not That's right. Crazy. And you can That's see crazy. it in our championships. We contest them all side by side. We're having tech falls in the second round. We're having pins in the first round and the finals. Like, guys, come on. If you see that, then you should know there's a lack of competitiveness. There's something we can do. Let's just bring them all together. Hey, let me tell you one more great match from Fargo. One of my, maybe my favorite match I've ever seen there, Stephen Abbas, the Stephen Abbas, takes on Teague mm -hmm. Moore. Now, Teague Moore was a three-time, I said three-time, I said three-time Fargo champion, but at the time of this match, he's a two-timer. This is his senior year. Abbas is this scary up-and-comer from California. Everybody knows this guy is going to set the world on fire, but he hasn't done it yet. He's in the semifinals with Teague. Abbas is ahead by two. There's 11 seconds left. Teague gets to a leg, brings the, the ankle to the armpit. All Abbas has to do, because don't forget, a, a takedown back then is worth one. All Abbas has to do is bail out, win the match by one instead of by two. Abbas refuses. He stays on his feet and fights it. Teague sweeps him right to his back for three, beats him by one with like a second God. And those guys battle... All the way through college, too, so many times. I didn't know they wrestled at Fargo. Man. So yep. what a they even wrestled off for a world team. I think it was 2001 in Minnesota. They wrestled they were best to three for a world team. No, those guys were rivals, but Teague, Teague was the guy in high school. I mean, that proved it right. You want to know why he's the two-time champion? Three-time that match right there. He had the ability to come Man. back. So during was so this era, was TJ Williams on the come up during this time, or was that a little bit after this time? 
DJ was never on fire. Now, Joe mm. was. Joe was this time. In fact, he was a, I think he was one. If I'm wrong, he was two years ahead of me. But Joe had doubled up mm. out there and was going to Iowa. And that was a little bit of a surprise. People didn't know how much he loved wrestling. He was from Illinois. He looked like a really good athlete more than his tough. I mean, he proved that he was very tough. Joe had won in both styles. And TJ had a little bit longer road. I hear that he did a good job, but I didn't see it. Even in the junior college, my teammate beat him. TJ was second in the junior college, went on to Iowa, never lost again in two years left, won the championship both those years. Um, but TJ was a little bit slower rise, at least from where I and was. And Les Gutch is this the same time? And he was just a world beater. Oh, Les was the man. So Les was another one of these guys who believed freestyle was the only way to go. His idol was Mark Schultz. Mark was the freestyle champion. Les Gutchess was second in the world as a sophomore. He won the junior nationals in Greco as a sophomore. He never wrestled Greco again. He never won the juniors again. He ended up getting third. I believe it was Ray Brenzer who beat him, but he ended up getting third. And then his senior year, he didn't go. He, he had an injury. He nursed it, went right off to college. Wow. Man, that's we talked about him last time and I've gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole on him since, but I just can't believe that Charles Burton match still given all of his, uh, he, everybody talked to you about Les Gutches in the nineties said that guy was terrifying. Oh yeah. No, he didn't even give up takedowns. He, he was uh, second on the ladder, his junior year, his senior year, he made the Olympic team taking out the defending world Olympic champion Kevin Jackson, which again, I know we're hearing of that. We're hearing of these young guys doing it. Not back mm. then. Back then, it did not happen. They didn't even try. It was boy against man. And Les would go in there. I mean, I he took out Royce Alger 9-3. to three. This is all before he beats Jackson. <laughs> Beat Jackson that same day. But there was other matches, too. There was a uh, Arizona State guy, a St. John. Uh, Les teched him. Um, you know, Rico Chipperelli. Really good guys. Les would finish them. They wouldn't even make it the distance. Man, it's so many good stories out there from Fargo. And, and the cool thing is that, People are making their own stories right now. So I'm going to be checking out the junior uh, junior finals tomorrow and then Olympics before we know it, Chael. Coming up, man. I can't wait. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you for the good work, buddy. I've had it with you. See you Goodbye. Brother. And that's the end of this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Thank you so much for tuning in. To watch the full video interview, go to YouTube Wrestling Changed My Life. And that's it. We'll see you next time.